0: Hey everyone, this is Giordano from the Juice Media. Welcome back to the Juice Media podcast, a companion to the Honest Government ad series. This episode of the podcast is recorded on Wurundjeri land and it is the companion to our latest Honest Government ad about the Australian government's pandemic response, focusing on its shitty hotel quarantine system.
1: Yes, we know these
0: endless lockdowns are hard for you, your family, your mental health, but they're hard for us too. We've had to put on pants twice this week to give presses to make sure you keep thinking these lockdowns are caused by your freedom-hating premieres, rather than by us cocking up the two jobs we had, quarantine and vaccines. Let's take a look. The obvious thing to focus on for this honest government ad would have been the vaccine rollout. But since there's already so much being said about that, I wanted to focus instead on an equally crucial issue that tends to get a lot less coverage. And that is the airborne transmission of the SARS-CoV-2 virus and how we need to deal with that in order to fix our broken hotel quarantine system. This, together with vaccination, is what many experts are saying is crucial to stopping the kinds of outbreaks that we're seeing right now in New South Wales and in many parts of the world. It's also crucial to bringing home the thousands of stranded Aussies who are still waiting to come home but can't, due to reduced flight caps. To help us understand how all these things fit together, I'm stoked to have as my guest today, Dr. David Berger. David Berger is a GP, emergency doctor, social activist, and campaigner for zero COVID. And he is currently stationed on the Cocos Keeling Islands in the middle of the Indian Ocean, where he is working as the island doctor and from where he joins us today. The Cocos Islands are clearly on the NBN as David's bandwidth died in the ass during our interview, which is why you'll see his video freezing in the second half. And that's why we've had to replace it with a still image. But in spite of that, I hope you learned something from what he has to say and i'll catch you on the other side welcome to the juice media podcast dr david berger it's great to have you here
1: thanks very much great to be with you
0: perhaps david you could kick off by first of all perhaps telling us what are your particular uh, qualifications and expertise just so people know what background you come from what your experience is and then perhaps a little um, situation update on uh, australia where we are right now
1: Sure. Sure um, well my background is as a GP and emergency doctor I remote I work in remote parts of Australia um, I've also I also spent nine years on the uh, uh, as a non-executive director on the management board of the BMJ group in London uh, which uh, most people will know publishes the BMJ one of the world's leading medical journals and a whole load of other medical journals. Uh, So uh, I've I've sort of been steeped in uh, evidence-based medicine uh, for the last uh, 10, 15 years, and uh, in particular, we had to deal uh, with the fallout from the uh, MMR Causes Autism uh, Wakefield scandal in which the BMJ was actually uh, sued for exposing uh, Andrew Wakefield's fraud uh, in that uh, scandal. Um, And I've also been... a uh, a social activist for the last uh, few years, uh, campaigning on global corruption, global healthcare corruption, uh, and also refugee rights uh, in Australia. And since uh, really the beginning of last March, uh, campaigning for a rational approach to COVID, a recognition of the obvious fact, which is be- absolutely uh, beyond uh, incontrovertible now that COVID is airborne uh, and the implications that has for the protection of all of us, but particularly healthcare staff.
0: Okay, so, so um, I wanna get into that, um, which is really one of the focus uh, messages of this, of this video is about you know raising awareness about the, the aerosol uh, uh, nature of COVID transmission. Before we get into that, um, could you give us a little bit of a, uh, just a little bit of a situation update? Where are we now in Australia? We, we're seeing a situation develop in New South Wales. Is it under control? Is it?
1: No, we're in the shed. Um, We were doing okay, uh, and now we're in the shit, uh, because we were following a zero COVID strategy, uh, a strategy of eliminating uh, COVID from circulation, which is the same thing that we do with other infectious diseases like measles. Uh, That meant that we had uh, severe limitations or have severe limitations on overseas travel, uh, but it did mean that within the country we were living normal life. We now have uh, in New South Wales an outbreak of the highly infectious, the more infectious and almost certainly the more severe Delta variant in a population that thanks to the government's screw up of vaccine procurement and rollout is largely unvaccinated. Uh, so that has severe uh implications for public health we're already seeing uh, large numbers of people in icu in sydney uh and it has severe implications for uh well for the whole of australia you know even if this can be localized contained to new south wales it doesn't look like it can be uh yeah, eliminated in New South Wales, certainly not at the moment, not the way that uh, the New South Wales government is going. Uh, and so we've got a very uncertain future with New South Wales, this kind of locked off pariah state in Australia, uh, and and really no idea of, uh, of where we're going with this.
0: So uh, what a lot of people are um, trying to sort of learn from you know this commentary so everyone's sort of talking people are blaming each other some people are blaming atagi doctors uh, others the limo driver who supposedly sparked this outbreak in sydney why are we in this situation how how did this come about and um and how do we get out of it and i guess i also want to say you know perhaps a lot of people especially in new south wales who are listening are probably not in a very good spot right now. Probably a lot of people are struggling. I just want to really acknowledge that uh, it's very hard. We, we are here in Melbourne. We know all about it. We've been through some pretty long protracted lockdowns. Um, so perhaps you could talk about it. Um, but I, I really want to end with a positive uh, vision for the future because I think from reading what you've said, the solutions are clear. We know what to do. It's just really a case of implementing the expert advice. So perhaps you could yeah. give us a little bit of a roadmap.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. And that's the really frustrating thing uh, that I and many others have found through the last 18 months, that actually the way to deal with this is clear. Uh, The the problem is the will to do so. And really, this isn't a war against a virus. This is an information war. It's a propaganda war. So uh, uh, it, it is very clear that we cannot, in inverted commas, Live with this virus uh, and expect to continue life as before, as if this was the common cold. And that is the case, whether large proportions of the population are vaccinated or not. Okay, this is a very severe illness. It is a multi system illness that can affect all the systems of the body, that does so unpredictably. You can say certain people are more at risk, but actually, anybody can get extremely sick with it. Uh, And even people who have relatively mild illness can have serious long-term consequences in in the form of long COVID. So this is a very serious illness. Now, it is an airborne virus. And one of the reasons, perhaps the main reason, uh, that we're in this situation is a failure to recognize early enough and comprehensively enough that COVID is an airborne virus. That means it spreads like cigarette smoke. It doesn't spread on door handles. It doesn't spread in large snot droplets when you sneeze. It wafts in the air and it can remain in the air for many minutes, even hours. So we have, uh, uh, in, in a paper I, I recently wrote, uh, we actually cited a case of a, uh, of a bus where someone was infected half an hour after the infectious person had got off. So it was hanging in the air for that period. Now, understanding that has major implications for infection control. And there has been an extreme resistance to accepting that on the part of the WHO and on the part of national health authorities since the beginning of the pandemic. That is starting to change, but it is still only starting to change. But the implications for us have been absolutely catastrophic because it has meant that uh, the evidence that we've had that hotel quarantine is failing because uh, virus is wafting down corridors has essentially been ignored. So we had this absolutely ridiculous situation earlier this year and still today where we'll get uh, news conferences from chief health officers of state saying, well, we've looked through 500 hours of CCTV footage. We can't see where there was an authorized, unauthorized contact between people in hotel quarantine. So w- we're baffled as to how people got infected. And it's like, it's like you're kind of at the pantomime yelling behind you, behind you. And it's like, it's in the air. It's in the air. You know, you're kind of yelling, you're kind of screaming at the TV. It's like, Jesus Christ. How long does this go on? And, and so, you know, we look at this poor limo driver. It, listen, if you're listening, I have enormous sympathy for you because you are, I have, you are a poor bugger. Yeah, it's a scape-
0: shig- massive scapegoat,
1: yeah. Ass, scapegoated for something that isn't your fault. For God's sake, you're a limo driver. You don't have to know about infectious disease transmission, okay? So he wasn't required to be vaccinated. Uh, And to this day, as of Friday, New South Wales still does not mandate suitable airborne PPE for drivers who were driving people in quarantine, okay? So it was not this guy's fault. Yeah, and
0: it's important to understand that he, because a lot of the media doesn't report this. They were like, oh yeah, he was driving this uh, air crew f- to and from the airport, but it's like, that's within the quarantine system. And I've seen quite a few people going, oh, well, that's yeah. not that's not hotel quarantine. it's like, well, that is part of the transporting to and from quarantine is part of the quarantine system. So now that we've mentioned that, I thought perhaps you could tell us a little bit about the but hotel quarantine system. There, Giudano, yes, go on.
1: Because- Giannano, Brendan Murphy, the Secretary of the Department of Health in the Senate estimates last week, also said that. He also said, well, you can't say the quarantine facilities were at fault because this wasn't in quarantine. It's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Do you think we're all really stupid?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, On on this topic of uh, hotel quarantine, can you explain to us uh, a little bit? So this is, again, one of the key themes of the video um what is wrong with the quarantine system initially it was set up in a hurry so okay fair enough doesn't have to be perfect initially because it was done very quickly but we're like almost a year and a half into the pandemic now is the quarantine system that we have suited to dealing with um with airborne transmission or COVID or however however you want to define it and if not what what are the answers i mean what's going on here
1: yeah yeah look i mean it clearly isn't as as you pointed out in the video one in 44 infected travelers are being able are able to transmit the virus through no fault of their own to somebody else in hotel quarantine because the hotel quarantine is not uh effective uh we've had what i think six or seven breaches in queensland this month queensland is now locked down again uh and this just goes on and on now yes we we damn well should know it now we knew it at the beginning so This isn't the first SARS virus. This is SARS-CoV-2. SARS-1 happened in Taiwan and Canada in 2003. Now they figured out in 2003 that this was an airborne virus. And in fact, I cited in one of the papers I wrote in April last year, I cited evidence from Taiwan where they realized that For infection control in hospitals, it wasn't just important to use airborne PPE. You actually had to completely segregate uh, COVID patients. You couldn't allow them to use the same corridors as other people. So you didn't have to be clairvoyant to know that this was going to be a problem in hotel quarantine, which was never designed, the ventilation systems of which, were never designed for this kind of infection control. We've had in the Northern Territory, where they're using uh, uh, the Howard Springs uh, Center for quarantine, which is basically lots of dongers, lots of cabins, they've had no breaches because there are no corridors, there are no lifts, there are no foyers, there are no shared areas. People don't share air. It would be baffling to think to oneself, look, we've now had eight, nine months of persistent and worsening hotel quarantine breaches as the variants that we've had have become more transmissible. So we were already getting breaches in November, December with the ancestral variant. Then we got Alpha B117, the British variant, uh, January, February, March, increasing breaches. And now we've got Delta, which is much more transmissible, and we're getting, no surprise, many more breaches. Now, it it, it is only a surprise that we haven't abandoned hotel quarantine and moved to uh, uh, air gap quarantine, which we could do very quickly. We could use caravan parks. We could even use motels, which which all have their own ventilation system uh, and don't have any corridors. but we, it, it, it's only a surprise that we haven't done that if you, if you think that somehow this isn't to do with contracts given to large hotel owners. The large hotel groups uh, are obviously have these contracts uh, and for some reason, uh, you know, the, the government will not, I guess, renege on these contracts or, or whatever. And so, so we are not moving to more effective uh, hotel quarantine.
0: Sorry, David, I, I don't know. I feel like, you know, that would be very out of character for this government to do such a thing. I, you know,
1: <laughs> I think it uh, would be very yeah. out of character. But, but, but this is like
0: the national emergency. No, totally. I mean, just to add to that point, the, the you know, the, the federal government announced a national inquiry into the hotel quarantine system and they appointed, it was led by... Um, a person who is also on the board of Crown Resorts. So Crown Resorts uh, board member leading the inquiry into hotel quarantine. No conflict of interest, no, totally. Anyway, sorry, keep going.
1: But, But listen, I mean, listen, this weekend, right? As I'm sitting here in Perth at the Pan Pacific Hotel, which failed its ventilation audit in March, which has already had a documented breach, they are having a conference of high school administrators from regional Western Australia who are staying in the hotel what could go wrong? and having their conference there. Right. So that's the level of stupidity that we deal with, That you can just cut with a knife, you know? Uh, I, I mean, the, the, the hotel on the Gold Coast, the Grand Chancellor... Uh, where they've had a lot of a number of breaches, uh, they were running until January. Until there was a huge outcry about it, they were running medical conferences there. So potentially they could have seeded COVID into every medical facility in Queensland. So you know, yeah. there's just no joined up thinking is the problem. Right. So
0: people are probably thinking at this point okay, it's airborne, uh, we need air gap quarantine facilities, that's for the government to take care of. But what does that mean for individuals? Um, are surgical masks um, okay, you know, as a, as a form of, 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 of protection? We're talking about, you know, this is sort of everyday use when you go out. What, what does that actually mean for individuals?
1: Yeah, so I, I, I think um, it's quite useful to look at this, to, to bring all of these measures together, so surgical masks, N95 masks, improved ventilation, social distancing, you know, movement restrictions, all these kinds of things, they do one thing. They all do the same thing to different degrees, and that is they reduce the rate of transmission, which is known as R. And if the rate of transmission is below one, that means one infected person on average transmits to less than one other infected person. Eventually the disease will be eliminated. If it is greater than one, then it will continue to grow in an exponential fashion uh, and you're you're not in control as in New South Wales. Surgical masks are, uh, you know, they are effective at reducing the risk of you getting infected and you transmitting infection they are less uh, effective than uh, a a properly fitted N95 mask, but they are still effective, they are still worthwhile, and they are still one of the many measures that we need to reduce R. Uh, And and really that's the key, is by any and all means necessary, improving ventilation in uh, indoor spaces. Uh, filtering the air with so-called HEPA filters, which are just little, like little floor standing fans uh, with a filter on to remove viral particles where you can't improve ventilation sufficiently. Uh, Movement restrictions, social restrictions where necessary. All of these things will will reduce the rate of transmission. So, uh, and in fact, the most potent one of these is vaccines. Mm. Vaccines do reduce transmission, okay? Vaccines are critical. The problem we've got now with the Delta variant is that it is so transmissible uh, that we are seeing that vaccinated people are still transmitting. So it's not a so called sterilizing vaccine. So last year, you could have said, well, we'll get a shot at herd immunity with the vaccines that we've got. This year, with the variants, which have arisen, let's remember, because of out of control transmission and reproduction of the virus so that they've they've been able to evolve um that is no longer possible so uh when the australian government says well look we'll look at opening up at 70 percent of eligible people vaccinated that is 59 percent of the total population uh, and that is nowhere near uh enough for herd immunity so so essentially what they're saying is will open up at that rate and the virus will be circulating. So, uh, but if you look at it like that, um, my big problem with, uh, the, uh, with, with the vaccine story is that it is just looked at as a silver bullet. It is no longer a silver bullet and possibly never was. It is an extremely potent, the most potent means to reduce R, but we need to do everything else as well. And if we do that, if we educate people to do things as simple as keep their car aircon off, recirculate, which improves the air quality in a car, uh, and all kinds of things like that, combined with vaccines, we can get and keep R below one. Over time, over the next one, two, three, four years, vaccine technology with the mRNA vaccines is going to keep progressing we will almost certainly get to a point where we have a sterilizing vaccine. But, you know, to give up at this point, which which is where we seem to be heading and, and where New South Wales seems to be heading sort of de facto, you know, it's, it's all too difficult. And, oh, you know, we, we've got these kind of confusing postcode lockdowns and all this kind of stuff. Um, it is it, just absurd. And a lot of people are gonna suffer and a lot of people are gonna die. And, you know, It's so frustrating when we actually know what we need to do. And if there was some leadership and some vision at the top that could take the country with, we would be okay.
0: I think uh, this is very recent, Uh, I think, yeah, just a few days ago, the Grattan Institute released uh, a a study uh, led by Stephen Duckett. I was just listening to this on on CoronaCast uh, today. Race to 80. Um, That's uh, the advice um, that modelling has come up with. We need 80% of the population vaccinated before we can do what, you know, what New South Wales has been trying to do, which is to, quote, um, unquote, live with the virus. So it's too early to do that. Um, so vaccines, and I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, that's such a critical, important part of the solution. So if I understand correctly, you're saying we, we need all of these measures. We can't rely only on vaccines. We can't rely early on vaccines. Uh, on, um social distancing, we've got to put all of those things together. Um, but the key thing seems to be listening to the fucking experts, because people people have been have been saying this. And so as you said, and I want I just want to quote this as a tweet that you wrote. And I actually I actually paraphrased it and used it in in the video. You wrote this pandemic is far less a fight against a sneaky virus than it is a fight against our own ignorance, venality and belligerent stupidity. The seeds of success or failure lie entirely in our own hands. Uh, And uh, maybe you could expand on that. I I feel like I changed it a little bit. I said, um, the fight isn't against the virus, it's against our governments, uh, uh, scapegoating, slackness and shit face smirks. So I I changed that a little bit, but could you you just comment on that? Because I think that's a really um, powerful message. We have the solutions. But the problem is, as you said, it's a a propaganda war.
1: We we absolutely do have the solutions. And and yes, we do need to get to 80% vaccinated. We need to get to more if we can. Uh, We need to vaccinate children. Uh, I mean, already, if you go to the state of Vermont, they've got something like 70 or 80% of 12 to 16-year-olds vaccinated. Uh, We're going to have data coming soon on vaccination down to age two. We do not want our children to get this virus. Uh, we don't want a, 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 a big experiment on, on our children. So what, what people are saying is, we need to vaccinate so we can reduce the rate of transmission. But if the rate of transmission doesn't go below one, then that isn't enough. And you know, the reality is that we are now in the midst of a sanitary, a sanitation revolution that it is as big in its way as the discovery of the germ theory or or as the germ theory of disease in the 1860s, uh, when people started realising you needed to wash your hands or you were going to die of a, a, you know, stool-borne disease, of diarrhoea. You know, the quality of our indoor air is extremely poor. It's like going for a swim in a shitty pool unless we deal with uh, the quality of indoor air the quality of ventilation. It's like trying to deal with a with a um, uh, with a cholera outbreak without fixing the toilets. You know, without fixing the sanitation, it's not going to work. So, you know, vaccines super important. Great high technology, mRNA, isn't it brilliant? Aren't we all clever? We also need to open the window and fix our air, and then R will be below one all of these measures, we can get to zero circulating COVID in Australia again, which we just had a couple of months ago. We can get to it again. We can eliminate the virus like we eliminate measles and we can keep doing that by improving our air and we will eventually get to a place where we have the the vaccines that are so much more effective on their own. Uh, they will get r below one it's 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 more complex to say we need to do all these measures to reduce transmission but again you know it's not exactly you don't have to be einstein to understand it it can be easily communicated um other countries are doing it belgium which you mentioned in the video is doing it Uh, other countries are so you know we can be smart about this
0: uh, David, you mentioned um, uh, Belgium, uh, and they they've installed CO two meters. Um, just wanted to point out the reading in this room is not good, not ideal. Um, not But great. you've um, <laughs> you, you've been using these, and um, this is kind of some of the things that experts have been advocating for is to is to monitor CO two levels. Can you explain the co- the connection between why CO two levels are relevant in in the COVID
1: um, in yeah, the COVID fight? Sure. So uh, we all hear about CO2 in relation to climate change and how man-made CO2 is uh, getting into the atmosphere, increasing levels, uh, and that that has greenhouse effect. Um, uh, And it's significant. So CO2 is measured in parts per million. When I was born, atmospheric CO2 was 320 parts per million. It's now 420, which is a huge increase of 33%. But let's put that aside for a moment. Okay, so we now know atmospheric CO2 is 420. That's the freshest that air can be on this planet. Now, when you go into a room, we all human beings, we produce CO2. Every time we breathe out, every breath out has 40,000 parts per million of CO2. So that means that actually the CO2 level in a poorly ventilated indoor space a room or a car increases very quickly. And it increases even more quickly when you've got a lot of people in there. And if that air has coronavirus germs in it or other germs, then you're more likely to get infected. And we know this, there are numerous studies that have looked at this.
0: And because it's airborne, it doesn't matter if you're not standing directly next to the person who is Correct. exhaling infected air, they could, be, they could have left half an hour even before you got there.
1: That's why kids get Ill at school, you know, we now know uh, because they're basically uh, breathing in this kind of fetid um, uh, miasma of air. So, uh, what the CO2 monitor does is it allows you to monitor the level. So, if the CO2 level is going up, uh, then you know you have to do something about it, open a window or, or something. Now, in Belgium, they have mandated in all public spaces a maximum CO2 level of 900. And if it's above 900 and below 1,200, they have to come up with a plan quick time. And if it's above 1,200, they have to close the venue while they come up with a plan. So you're, you, you'd be closed down now, mate. Yeah. no, You're, totally. you're at it, 1,260. But you're probably what are you now? <laughs> 1,388. What you? Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, see, 1,388. Hmm so it just goes up and up. Yeah. In Belgium now you have to display the CO2 and w- we need to get to a situation where you're displaying the CO2 level in an indoor space. Mm. So, you know, this is why we get infections in hospitals, it's why we get infections in schools. Um and and coming back to our poor old limo driver, did anybody tell him that he needed to switch his aircon off recirculate? Because if you don't have your aircon on uh, uh, if you have your aircon on recirculate you just keep rebreathing the same air, and I have got up to in my son's Hyundai i30. The two of us, 30 minutes on recirculate. We tried it. We got up to 5,000. Well,
0: wow. so this is also important. If you're catching a taxi or you're catching an Uber, uh, make sure to ask the driver to put aircon on uh, recirculate. Open a window if the weather allows it.
1: Yeah, yeah. To switch it off, recirculate. So you you want to be taking. You want to be taking the air in from outside. So off we circulate. But, you know, was the limo driver told to do that? You know, who knows? And if he had, and his windows had been open, would he have got infected? Possibly not. All of these things, education, ventilation, masks, vaccines, all of these things reduce transmission. And we need to be employing all of them. There isn't a silver bullet at the moment. There may be one day, hopefully there will but it's all of these things and so yes co2 level as an indicator of poor air quality is very important and then where you cannot get the co2 level down enough then you need to filter the air using hepa filters which are very fine particulate filters that take viruses out of the air and there's good evidence that they reduce infectivity Um, we should be using them in hospitals we should be using them in classrooms and other places Um, savvy hospitals are starting to use them the Alfred Health in Melbourne is using standalone floor mounted just like box fan HEPA filters in its COVID clinical areas there is no national guideline to do that but they're doing it because they're smart and this is where our government is absent without leave you know that there it's been a huge battle to get the uh, peak government committee to accept airborne transmission. They have now, but there's just still, if they're just dozy, there's just nothing happening. Okay, and and this is a a huge crisis that's facing us, and we need to be proactive, uh, and, and we need to do everything we can.
0: Um, David, uh, I just wanted to ask you about long COVID, because I think there's a lot of people that are still like, oh, it's not so bad, it's just the flu, uh, oh, you know, it's, it doesn't you know the risks. But we're learning more and more that actually COVID, uh, even if it doesn't kill you, um, can have severe um, repercussions, uh, which I think people are, are not quite a, a well aware of. Could you pl- please give us a little bit of a snapshot of what are we learning about the long-term effects of, of COVID?
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, this has only been around for just over 18 months. So we're learning as we go. It seems that much of the pathway of COVID infection is through stimulating the body's own immune system so that you get autoimmune effects and you get severe inflammation in different parts of the body. There is evidence that it affects brain cells, that it affects the regulation of the heart. Uh, And there are people who have had COVID who have long term heart abnormalities in terms of not being able to control their heart rate, control their blood pressure properly. Uh, There is uh, uh, increasing uh, thought that it may cause cognitive deficits and bring on dementia. Uh, We know that severe Uh, Covid leads to chronic lung disease and chronic hypoxia. Um, You know, this is a nasty illness that we are still only beginning to learn about. So, you know, when when people say, "Oh well," you know, let it circulate. uh, You know, it's it's a massive medical, uncontrolled medical experiment, and you know it boggles my mind that we would suddenly be prepared to do this. We know it's a severe illness and we don't know exactly what the long-term effects are. So, uh, you know, we also know that uh, long COVID can affect you even after a relatively mild infection. Uh, And we don't know what the rate of long COVID is after uh, infection in vaccinated people. Another thing is, that people forget in this country that we have a population of uh, Indigenous people, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who are at extreme risk from this virus. And once the virus circulates, it will circulate in those populations. And I have spent the last eight years in medicine, mainly looking after Aboriginal people. And I can tell you that even if the adults are, are all vaccinated, Uh, they are still at risk of serious disease. And the children uh, are greatly at risk of serious disease because we see disease in children, in Aboriginal children, that we do not see in non-Aboriginal children. So they are particularly susceptible. So there are so many reasons why we should not be letting this virus circulate and should be aiming for zero COVID. Um, And and of course, another one of those is that we do not want uncontrolled reproduction of the virus to allow more severe variants to keep evolving. So as long as, you know, there's rampant uh, reproduction of the virus, it's gonna keep evolving and it's gonna keep evolving uh, to evade vaccines because that's what evolution does.
0: Um, Thank you so much, uh, David, for uh, sharing all that. I, you know, hearing you speak and over the course of the the last few months, I've just been thinking it's, Yes, it's it's you know it's a tragic situation that, that that we're in with this pandemic, but also it's been such a an, an awakening in a sense because we've 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 we're faced with a problem that we can only really solve collectively by people coming together and having a shared vision. And in a sense, it's a primer for how do we deal with other crises, such as the climate crisis, the extinction crisis, and. It just amazed me how, you know, at the start of the pandemic, it was like, oh, well, vaccines won't be ready for like years, three years or five. Some vaccines take 10 years to produce. And look what happens when faced with a collective uh, challenge, we come together and direct unlimited resources and expertise to solving a problem it just makes you realize well we could pick any of these we could pick dementia and in, and, and if we did the same thing in a year we, we could have a solution for that we could pick the climate crisis maybe that'll take two years you know but it just shows how yeah. the solutions are there what stands in the way of yes. it is, is political will ideology and a whole lot of mm-hmm. fucking bullshit and uh, you know i think Absolutely. you know i think this is a lesson it's like it's unfolding right in front
1: of us um so that's yeah. the that's the silver lining here Yeah, I think so. I do feel uh, depressed at the stupidity and and the needless suffering uh, that there's been as a result of COVID, but equally it does show that we can actually do it. You know, it's all our future lies in our own hands. You know, we can actually have a thriving, prosperous, healthy future on the planet, but we do need to work together. And on that note,
0: i'm gonna thank you and uh let you get back to your patients dr david berger we really appreciate you joining us uh, our video connection from the cocos islands has uh not been we've dropped you a little bit but um you're back now so um uh great thanks great. for joining us we really appreciate it and um we'll, we'll catch you online thanks so much
1: brilliant really enjoyed it thanks jordan bye
0: Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Juice Media Podcast. I hope it's helped to give you an overview of our current situation as it stands and a better understanding of airborne transmission and the link between our hotel quarantine system failures and the ongoing outbreaks, lockdowns and tragic deaths due to the ongoing pandemic. You'll find links to the articles and resources we mentioned in the interview in the show notes or if you're watching this podcast on YouTube in the video description below. A reminder that this podcast is available on your favorite podcast app, but that we also publish a video version on our YouTube channel, which I recommend watching as we include visuals to accompany all the conversations. Thanks to Ellen for helping to produce and edit the Juice Media podcast and as always, thanks to you our patrons who make the podcast and the Honest Government ads possible. In particular, our patron producer who support us via our highest patron tier of $100 per month. Thank you. If you value our work, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash media. You've been listening to the Juice Media podcast with me, Giordano. I'll catch you very soon for our next Honest Government ad. Until then, take care.
1: Brilliant. Thanks so much see open you guys the yeah <laughs> we'll yeah, open, yeah, the exactly. now, yeah. open the, the window now yeah all right see ya bye you're gonna become obsessed with it now yeah
0: yeah totally